the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the WFIL app, you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Welcome aboard. Forecast calling for some clouds the rest of the afternoon and evening. Low of 68 on the cloudy side tomorrow. Maybe a shower, thunder shower or two. High of 89. Sunday, kind of similar on the cloudy side. Shower, thunder shower or two. And high of 88. We have a really special guest today. I'm looking forward to uh, bringing in here. And we're going to do it now. And, uh, and then we hope to tack on our fun pun segment on the back end of our program. Without further ado, welcome to Dr. Tyler Sexton. Hello, sir. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. Yeah, we're glad to have you on board for a number of reasons. Uh, the book is exciting to present to the listeners. No such thing as can't a triumphant uh, story of faith and perseverance. And um, maybe just take a moment and uh, share a little bit about you know who you are, where, what you're doing with your life at this point, and also the backstory to your book, and we can get into it some. Sure, absolutely. Well, it is an absolute privilege of what God has done in our lives. And I was a X 28 weeker. I was told that I um, wouldn't live past uh, the first week. They told my parents that they'd keep my body warm so they could hold me for the first last time before they buried me. There wasn't much hope for my survival. They said that if I did survive, that I'd be blind, mentally physically disabled, and never walk. And so my parents, of course, mourned the loss of a normal child. And every day was touch and go. We were holding on to God by our fingernails, or my parents were at that time, you know. Um, and I obviously survived the NICU stay over three and a half months in the NICU. But as I got older, obviously something was still very wrong, and I couldn't sit up by the time I was 18 months old. You know, I would combat crawl and those kind of things. And um, I was taken to a neurologist at the time, hunting with some tests, and I was diagnosed with spastic diaplegia, which is the most common form of um, you know premature cerebral palsy. How old and, were you at that point? When that, that, I was 18 months old okay. at the true diagnosis of CP. Hey, and, and by and, the way, uh, yeah, before you go further, just a quick question. So uh, with the, the, the hospital stay and, and thinking you might not make it, had, was there any indication prior to that during your mom's pregnancy that there was something wrong? Or was it all news to her when you were born? Well, not not initially. So she actually was going into work one day and, you know, was a little bit sick, but she was a little swollen, had toxemia poisoning or preeclampsia now, but they called it toxemia back in the day. Yeah. And basically thought everything was okay. Didn't feel great. But then all of a sudden um, she was uh, managing a, a local property uh, that she was working at, you know, and then she her water broke. And she just thought that she, you know, just didn't have any bladder control, which is typical of a lot of pregnant women out there, right? And she sure. thought, well, I'm going to call my doctor. And the doctor said, hey, you need to come in and let us see us. And she really just thought, you know, when she recounts the story that, you know, just like anything else, you go to the doctor, something's wrong, he's going to fix it, and you're going to go home. Mm. And, of course, that wasn't the case, and she was in preterm labor. So it was definitely a shock and was not planned at all. And what weeks, how far along was she at that point? 28 weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was incredible. So touch and go, and but God brought you through that, your parents through that. And uh, I'm sure that's a, that's a, a lifetime of its own, three and a half months in the hospital. It's, it, you know, you can kind of blitz through it, but the truth is that's a... Uh, you know, we've been in the hospital with one of our kids for about 
10 days and that's a long time <laughs> three and a half months no, is a really long time no you're right and you're you know you're uh you're hoping for even just a small drop of urine or just hoping that anything goes right and then you're watching other other parents you know lose the fight and then other parents graduate and go home and you're wishing you're those parents and so it's a it's a roller coaster of emotions ups and downs and um and, and you know god god came through and i've learned that people say no and god says yes and and thankfully you know my mom went home at that time, after we got um, discharged, and she basically mourned the loss of a normal child, like I said. And then at the end, about a week, she opened up every blind in the house, and she said, I'm going to make this child as great as he can be. I'm going to give him to the Lord and see what happens. Yeah. And so we fast forward 18 months. I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Couldn't walk, couldn't sit up, years of physical therapy. I've had 16 surgeries. I fall four to six times a day, and it wasn't easy. I mean, I remember one time I was in fourth grade. And I had a substitute BE teacher, you know, and my balance is bad. I used to be made fun of and called the penguin, you know, crippled kid, all these different things. And I was out with a substitute PE teacher, thousands of kids out in this field, and we were doing jumping jacks. And, you know, my clumsy attempts of palsy jumping jacks, you know, the, the PE teacher shouted out, hey, kid, you're in fourth grade, and that's the best you can do. Quit climbing out. And uh, it was the Man. best that I could do. Yeah. And I went home that day after the teacher said that. And I said to my mom, I said, I don't want to be me anymore. And she took me to my room, and she sat me down on my bed, and she started throwing everything out of my room. I mean, toys, pictures on the wall, everything but the sheets on the bed, even my Nintendo. Who doesn't love a Nintendo right at that age? She threw it all out, and she said, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. You've taken everything. She threw it all out. I started crying angrily, bitterly. The one woman I love the most, my little sweet potato, she took it all from me. She said, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. You've taken everything. She said, no, I can't take away who God made you and the spirit he gave you that you're alive and you're you and you have something to do. And that's kind of carried through our entire life up to me going into medicine. Not that it was easy, but that's the quick and abridged version. Wow, that's quite a story. For those just tuning in, we'll chat with Dr. Tyler Sexton. The book is called No Such Thing as Can't. Just to clarify, Please. too, your time, those, what, what was this, the problem? Uh, was it multiple problems, just, just living like you're not going to make it? Your f- overall physical constitution was weak? Or were there specific issues when you were in the hospital those first three and a half months that you were, they finally got you through just growing strong enough to leave? Or was there so that's a, yeah, that's a great question. So a couple of things. One, you know, the lungs were, were immature. There was no surfactant wasn't created in 1986. It got created in 1988. Surfactant is the drug that helps open these young babies' lungs up. Okay. At 28 weeks, the way that they ventilate these babies, you know, I had a hemorrhage in my brain, uh, or you know, they're worried about hemorrhage, and then the lack of oxygen is what actually caused the cerebral palsy. They're worried about hemorrhaging. I was very very small. I would need, and I was uh, infected because my mother had the preeclampsia. I had a lot of those toxins, poor kidney functions, all those things. So there was a lot, not only just your general question of feeding and growing because I was less than a pound. So you have to grow those babies up and you don't learn how to suck until you're 34 weeks old or 36 weeks actually. Yeah. And so you have to do all the normal baby development things. Plus I wasn't meeting those milestones and fighting for my life in terms of my lung development and kidney function and all those things given how premature I was. Okay. So all that, so, so obviously there's a lot going on when you're born at 28 weeks or so. Uh, so yeah, so that's Correct. great. Thank you for clarifying. And then you, you referenced uh, sweet potato in your comment there, which is a nickname for your mom. And one of the things people should know about this book is your mom co-wrote it with you and she, you know, chapters are interspersed. Um, talk about your, your mom for a moment and, uh, and her, I mean, you shared a little bit already her role in your life, but uh, I'm sure she's obviously a whole lot more than a co-author and just from her perspective, because this book, if I'm not mistaken, serves a couple purposes, at least, you, you know, the challenges you've been through and encouragement to those facing similar challenges or challenges in general. And then your mom, her own set of challenges, raising, 
you and all of the stuff you had to go through together as a family. No, that's right. And you're absolutely right. And what we wanted to do in the book and just sharing our story, you know, what we've always said is everyone's handicapped. You know, mind the world can see, but everybody's struggling with something. Everybody wishes there was something about their lives that they can change. And I'll tell you, the one thing about our book is, and the one thing about my mother, you know, I'm so close with her, and I have a great relationship with my father, but my mother and I have a special bond. You know, she dared me to dream instead of looking at the next medical miracle. And I think that one of the things that we're very proud of in terms of just living life and sharing our story is that my mother carried wounds, carried scars about a vision of perfection, about her own life, about what she envisioned uh, parenting to be, what she wanted family to be. And that drove her down a path of self-discovery, of God's healing recovery, uh, and in terms of some of those choices that um, you'd be surprised. You know, people have it all together. And something I do as now a doctor, I talk to people, and we walk around this world and we say, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. We don't really take a time to find out how you really are. And one of those things that I've seen with, uh, with special needs specifically in these families is they're on an island on their own. It's hard to relate to parents. It's hard to relate to people as their kids are excelling at certain things. And then these other parents, not even, yes, there are some mean kids and some mean parents out there, but a lot of times you're not even getting made fun of because they're being mean. You're being excluded because they don't want you to feel bad. But yet, yeah. I had the same hopes and dreams as everybody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, so did my mom, you know, and so you feel like, well, don't, don't ask Tyler to the movies because he can't walk up the stairs, but I just want to see the movie. You know what I mean? So it wasn't even a, a thing that people were mean. They just didn't know. And, and in this book, it's really neat to see the perspective from a parenting side. And I will tell you, now that I have children on my own and what God did meeting my wife in medical school and, and bringing me through the miracle of becoming a doctor, you know, being a pediatrician didn't make me a better father, but being a father makes me a better pediatrician. And now looking back and seeing my mom's perspective in raising me to today, it's very humbling to see what God did. He took a tragedy and he turned it into a triumph in our lives. Amen. Dr. Tyler Sexton's our guest. The book we're chatting about, No Such Thing as Can't, a triumphant story of faith and perseverance. Back with more in just a moment, the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the WFIL app, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Dr. Tyler Sexton is our guest, chatting about the book, No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. There's so many things you said there that are all good, good to, you know, which, which fork in the road do we take for a moment? Um, maybe the path, because you were mentioning in fourth grade doing jumping jacks and the PE teacher being, you know, the way worded it, not very, not very kind. I always thought I'd ask you just to mention a couple of the challenges or another story like that along the way that you found where you've had to overcome other negative words from other people. Um, and similarly, the misconceptions, I was going to ask you kind of like what's appropriate because that's a great example of, of like going to the movies, but don't ask him because he's going to have trouble getting up the steps. You know, what is appropriate for people to, to be thinking like someone who's dealing with physical challenges, it doesn't mean that they, uh, they have intellectual challenges. Maybe you start talking down because you think that they can't relate or something. No, I'm just as smart as you are. I'm fine. Sure. So, yeah, so maybe if you could share um, – that's two different things there, but maybe you could share along those lines. Absolutely. Well, a couple of things. That's a great question, and I appreciate it because one of the things that I've noticed or one thing that I tell people is come walk out of your comfort zone and come walk in mine. And I think that that's really, you know, we're all, that's what people are trying not to do, not making me feel uncomfortable, not wanting them to be uncomfortable. And I, I encourage people to realize that we have the same hopes and dreams as everybody else. You know, I, I remember in, in middle school, the Sadie Hawkins dance, 
right? Where that's where, for those of you who don't know out there, you, the boys don't have to ask the girls. The girls get to ask the boys. Well, in my experience, I was never very sought after in terms of wanting to be danced with because I fall all the time and nobody wanted to date the handicapped child. I don't want to make anybody feel bad now, but when I was a kid, that's what happened. And so I was very used to being alone, very used to always compensating, showing people that, you know, I used humor a lot, that I was approachable. I, I would encourage people to realize that you can learn just as much of somebody different than you as they can from from you. And I think that the typical children out there uh, will be more blessed by just learning about somebody who's a little bit different, whether it be they have a cast on their hand, whether it be they walk a little different, whatever it is. And, and I think that's what's so important is allowing these, these children or, or these parents mm. to step out um, and, you know, and say something. I'm going to say something, for example, you know, Tyler will never play basketball, so he shouldn't be allowed to play. Or Tyler, you know, can't walk up the stairs, so don't let him go to the movies. I hope you laugh at this, but that's like me saying, you know, the C student shouldn't go to the library because he only has C's. Of course, that's not true. We try to encourage him. We try to develop him. And of course, he can reach his potential. And I think that's what people need to realize is that we, you know, thank God that 10% of life is what happens to you and 90% is how you react to it, that God sees our potential. And if we could learn to see us the way that, that God sees us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are special, um, that it can be you know, dramatically changed. And I, I think that's what I would tell people more than anything else is just step out there and try something different and introduce yourself. How, how often do you, th- yeah, I'm just thinking also, uh, practically speaking, not that you have an exact percentage, but were the situations where someone would intentionally just come sit down and talk to you a lot more uncommon than common that people felt it was just easier to not that they'd be mean, but kind of keep a little bit of a distance because they weren't really sure what to do, so they just didn't do anything? Correct. As a young youth, again, this is uh, not to make anybody feel bad. More often than not, I was left alone. I was not engaged with. There were friends, and I had a couple close ones that made the difference, that saw me who I was, uh, and and it means the world to me now. But as, as a child, it was very hard, and as I got older, you know, I thought that, to be honest with you, Earlier on, it was it was very lonely. I was alone. I would have some friends, but I wasn't always included in you know uh, gaming or going over to people's houses or being first picked or asked to dances. But then as I got older, you know, when you were younger, it was a cute little handicapped boy. But then you got older into middle school and high school, and I thought that the bullying would get would get easier because you know going off to college, for example, or high school. You know, everybody in college is crazy. You can sit in the corner eating Cheetos and, and seeking enlightenment, do whatever you want. And I thought, well, I just walk a little funny. This is going to be easy, right? Yeah. And it was harder than I ever had. Really? I got made fun of more in college and the older that I got. So I will actually tell you that although there are moments in my childhood that were equally as challenging, the older I got, the more difficult it got in terms of letting people realize that I tell people all the time, don't let what has happened to you overshadow what God has done for you. And I've learned that I'd rather walk with a limp in Christ than with a strut in the world, that he knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me. Uh, but I had, to, I had to grasp that. And some days, don't, don't get me wrong, it, it wasn't always easy, but I did find there's a difference between joy and happiness. Yeah, yeah. And nobody was going to take away my joy, <laughs> even though some days I wasn't happy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, chatting with Dr. Tyler Sexton, the book we're uh, talking about, his book that he co-wrote with his mom, is called No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. One small little point, then I have another question. You reference the, the dance, Sadie Hawkins' dance. Do you know the band Reliant K? Have you ever heard of them? 
Night Gal absolutely. I love them. Okay, so they have this they have the song Sadie Hawkins Dance. I'm not sure if you're familiar right. with it. Right. Yeah, okay. I used to play that song on my radio show. I love that song. It's so much fun. That's awesome. No, I love it. I, I still jam out to it. No lie. All, all the old classics, DC Talk, Lion K, all those. Yes. Okay, that's fun. So so now <laughs> on the other side of things, you were you talked about playing being a basketball player or whatever, and and also the voices that speak into your life that help you along. And one of them, you mentioned um, a Dr. Greg early in the book, right? And how powerful his his role, who he was when you were visiting, because you had you said sixteen surgeries, and uh, I'm sure lots of other visits and prep visits and all that along the way. Talk about Dr. Greg for a minute, and you know who he was and how that shaped who you are now, because you are, as we said, Dr. Tyler Sexton, and we can talk about what you're currently doing too. Dr. Greg Savell is somebody that I uh, hope I don't tear up as I as I share about him, but he means the world to me because. A couple of things. One, as a child, like you said, I felt like I, apart from my parents, I felt like I was growing up in Dr. Greg Savell's office. Mm. Um, I mean, always being in there. You know, I would break a knee or I would break a bone. You know, he would tell me, come on, Shaq, let's go do it. <laughs> and, you know, I know I can't be Shaquille O'Neal, even though I want to be even now, right? But had he not said, come on, Shaq, let's do it, would I have tried to get out of the wheelchair and tried to walk? Would I have tried to pursue the next dream? I don't know. And so he instilled in me the, the purpose that he saw me for more, and that no matter what happened to me, that he was going to help fix it, uh, and, and we would move on to the next one. And then moving forward, he's a crazy, fun-loving pediatrician. He never wears the same matching pa- uh, shorts. He always wears shorts and uh, you know polo, a crazy Hawaiian shirt. So he's a wacky guy, wears different socks with capes on him. I mean, I love him. And he still practices today, and we're still very close. And I remember when I got older, like you're talking about what I'm doing now, going to medical school was very difficult. I have a service dog. I am a lot different. And I made it through medical school. I was rejected in medical school because of my disability in the U.S., and I had to be forced to go to the Caribbean. And it really struck me because everybody was, was like, how was my life going to have to change, meaning the, the program directors or these different programs, how would they have to change to accommodate me? And I thought to myself, you know, now I don't ever wear a white coat. I wear a superhero T-shirt. I'm, I'm the doctor who wears superheroes on every day, and I have a service dog. And I'm really thinking, you know what? No, if Dr. Greg can do this the way that he does, he acts wacky, he wears, you know, a, a, a button knows or acts like a clown and, and doesn't even you know match, but has such a genuine heart and a love for pediatrics and a knowledge that he can impart and he puts patients at ease with genuine concern. He changed my world because I said, if he can do it, then I know that I'm not crazy and I can too. And people might even say, you know what, I want to go see the doctor with a doggy. Because when I look at parents and I look at these patients and these kids, I can say, I know how you feel and mean it. And I can tell them that they are, they are special. And I'm a big fan of a, of a mosaic. Looking up close, it looks like random photos, you know, what goes here and what goes there. And as many times in my life when I was like, I wish I could take that away. Um, but then when you look at that picture from far away, if you took one part of that away, your picture would be incomplete. And that's what I found about cerebral palsy. If you took that away, my picture would be incomplete. And Dr. Greg Savell helps me realize that, that those kind of things and being a doctor, I'll never forget one of the things he told me, too, is, you know, who do you think we're trying to save? We're, we're trying to save the sick, the hurting, and all these things. And so why not have a previously sick and hurting individual who has now been healed by the grace of God come in and be able to walk alongside people? What's better than that? Yeah. And so Dr. Greg was able to look at me and give me the encouragement while I was even taking some of the lumps from the uh, medical schools and different authority figures. Sure. And I would just be able to call him and say, am I crazy? It's, a, it's not going to be easy, but you're not crazy. You know, keep persevering. And so just to hear another person, even though there were some days, I know there was nothing Dr. Greg could do for me. He was powerless, and I know he would have given his right arm to get me there. 
But yet just to hear him say, I believe in you, that wasn't just my mother and father, to say, I love you, I care about you, and you can do this, Dr. Gray means the world to me. Dr. Tyler Sexton's our guest, No Such Thing as Can't, a triumphant story of faith and perseverance, the book we're chatting about and his story. Back with more in just a moment on the Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL.com on the WFIL app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. How's it going? Forecast the rest of the day. Some clouds and some sun. Low of 68 eventually tonight. On the cloudy side tomorrow, maybe a shower, a thunder shower too. 89 the high for Sunday. Still kind of cloudy. A little sunny break occasionally perhaps. And a shower, a thunder shower too. Again, possible. Sunday's high, 88. Dr. Tyler Sexton is our guest as we continue on with our program today. He's written a book called No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. Uh, one might think that with all those surgeries and growing up uh, that you might want to be as far from the doctor's office as possible. Uh, but maybe you felt like this was, well, you know, on the flip side, it did occur to me, well, this is what you're familiar with. Maybe you gained a lot of insight. So what led you to actually thinking being a doctor would be something you'd want to do? It has definitely been a combination of faith. I know that my parents, if you ask them honestly, uh, I, they always supported me, but I don't even think they thought it was possible at some parts of this journey as well. Yeah. You know, it was always, you'll never do this. You'll never do that. You'll never walk. You'll never talk. You'll never scuba dive. I achieved all those things. You know, people say, no, and God says, yes, and we walked hand in hand with those hurdles. And I really realized at that point that I wanted to become a doctor to give hope to patients hmm. instead of always the worst case scenarios. And I'm not out here saying, and I do it on a day-to-day basis. And so I want to be very clear. You can lay out the facts with no hope and give a message of hopelessness. And yet on the other side is with just a little bit of hope, you can radically change somebody's world. Hmm. And I will tell you, there are pediatricians all across the country. Some maybe even listening, you know, we could all stand in front of you in a line. And this is what I learned. I could tell you exactly how to fix a certain illness, exactly how to fix a certain break or whatever it is. But how you say something, that is what matters. Nobody will look at anything else except how you made them feel. Mm. And for me, I want to be the doctor to say, you know what, I can give you hope. In the midst of your tragedy, I can show you that if God can do this for me, he can do it for you through the miracle of what, what he's given us through medicine and the rest. I still believe in miracles. I know God can do those things. And I've taught people how to reframe their hopes and dreams, right? Learning for me, learning how to wipe myself and not fall off the toilet when I was a kid, that yeah. was a small miracle. Yep. And so day to day, one step at a time, I just took one miracle, one task, one challenge every day. And now I get to do that with my patients, and we get to see miracles, and we get to appreciate where we are and the blessings that God has us in that position. I think that's the biggest issue, too, is we get so focused on, you know, what comes in the future and what is going to be, and yet we didn't dream big enough. I didn't know I was going to become a doctor. My parents definitely didn't. My mother thought I was going to do nothing, and here I sit. So I want to encourage people is, you don't have it planned out. You don't know but God does. And now being a doctor, I know that fear. I know that pain. I know that uncertainty. And I stand in front of you better for it. And I've seen too much. and I know too much. Never deny what God's done for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For those tuning in, Dr. Tyler Sexton's our guest. And the book is No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphal Story of Faith and Perseverance. We've come in and out of your life throughout, you know, from young to old, you know, in the hospital, born at 28 weeks, uh, almost didn't make it, in the hospital for three and a half months, finally get to go home. 
you know, in your childhood, you had, I mean, you had 16 surgeries uh, diagnosed with, I guess, cerebral palsy. And over the next, how many years, like 16 surgeries over the course of how long? So over the course of 17, 18 year old was my last uh, surgery related to cerebral palsy. Wow. You know, at the beginning of my life, there was the majority of them. And then after that, it was almost a surgery every year of my life. It's not, it's not more so. Okay. And then just like fill in a couple blanks, if you would, just, I'm curious, like over your childhood, uh, because I think at one point there was a certain, in the book, it talked about that one of the surgeries that could be very important, but if it didn't go right, you might lose your ability to walk. So you had the ability to walk, sure. right? Just even the, the challenges of like, were you told you're never going to walk, but you did, and then you almost lost it. Like, or, what was the path for you just functionally, you know, in the childhood years into your teens? Sure. So one of the surgeries that got me where I'm at today to get me out of a wheelchair was called the selective dorsal rosalgia. And that surgery basically is a surgery that takes all the, the spastic nerves that are in your back and they, they remove those to, to decrease spasticity. And that's what allowed me to get out of a wheelchair and learn how to walk. Okay. And then fast forward that I heal cord lengthening. I had different adductor, different muscle lengthening surgeries throughout that process. And so I was like the fifth person in Florida to ever have it done by my neurosurgeon. I didn't know that at the time, but my parents took incredible risk and faith and hope in terms of looking for the next uh, medical procedure to, to get me to the next level. And so that happened. So I was able to learn how to walk with a walker, with hip rotators, and then eventually without any help except for falling and then popping back up and breaking bones in the midst of that. But then when I was 12 years old, I had another procedure, another heel cord lengthening. Um, and I had a knee surgery. And basically the archetype of my body uh, adapts to the way that I'm walking, that if you adjust it, it may be difficult for it to come back and learn how to walk again. So I had the heel cord lengthening at the age of 12 years old. I was in um, long leg cast all the way up to my waist, and I was in those casts for 12 weeks. They were trying to basically stretch out my knees, hamstrings, different muscle groups in the body. So by the time those casts came off, I was unable to walk. And I had to relearn how to walk at 12 years old because mm. all the muscles were weak. And then I was so spastic that basically the bones hadn't moved for 12 weeks. They were like fused into position. And I'll never forget, they, they cut the casts off. And the doctor looked at my mom and was like, all right, let's get ready to walk. But they were walking. And I'll never forget it. They had to drop me. They were holding each arm. And the doctor told my mom to drop me a little bit to make my knees bend. And it was the most excruciating pain I ever felt in my entire life. But the realness of what God has done or did in my life at that point was incredible because I thought to myself, if I can't walk again, will I be content? And so I had to learn at 12 years old everything that was taken away from me already and everything that I had to learn how to do. You know, some things I didn't mind that I had to fall down. It was part of my life. Sometimes, it, it, you know, attitude is a choice. But at 12 years old, you start growing up and you start learning about what you want to be and, and people liking you. And I thought, if, if I work so hard to get out of a wheelchair, if I have to go back into one, what will I be? Sure. Um, and so it really taught me to be thankful for the gifts that were given. And thank God I was able to learn to walk again. Dr. Tyler Sexton's our guest, the book, No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphal Story of Faith and Perseverance. And maybe this is a good time just to kind of throw this back to you to say, uh, when, when you hear the word, uh, and, and you mentioned in the book, you know, can't do versus can do, the mindset, um, but you've obviously shared about your love for God and what he's done in your life. And so people understand that the book is not like just a kind of a positive thinking book. Because at one point you talk about also the the, the voices outside can be putting you down, but also the voice inside too, the one right close to you can be negative. So you have to learn how to be careful about how you're thinking, but just share about your, your walk with God and all this, what you've seen God do 
helping you with that mindset of can versus can't and how that plays into your faith? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, I've said before that I'd rather walk with a limp in Christ than with a strut in the world. But I will tell you that as I got older or seeing God dramatically touch my life is, you know, it talks about God's word being a, a lamp unto our feet. And what that meant to me and what this means, and my point will come clear in a moment, yeah. is it doesn't talk about that it's a fog light or a spotlight that you can see everything in the past. Because if I could have, I wouldn't have walked down that path. Because if I could have seen the turmoil and the trials that I've been through, I wouldn't have done it. But it was step by step, day by day. And the one thing that I've realized and what gave me hope was every moment of my life, I, I didn't know what was going to come next. My rejection uh, to medical school, for example, where was I going to go? I was broken. I remember holding my servant dog and crying. And I cried for two hours and I thought, I got to go walk or do something. I'm going to go check my mail. And in my mailbox, was a medical school that accepted me in the Caribbean. Wow. I viewed it as a sign. And in that, in that medical school is where I met my wife. My entire life was planned out. I wanted to go back to Florida, where I was from. I wanted to work at a big institution where I used to you know, work as a child life aide. I wanted to be there, and that's where I wanted to be. And yet God had other plans. And I really realized the other thing that changed my life was, was a story in, in the Bible about uh, Paul and in this particular um, story, it talks about where he has a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that thorn is. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say it at all. But we know that he asked God three times to take it away from him. And there are many times in my life that I, I would have asked God to take away cerebral palsy. If you ask me today, I, w- I would never take away cerebral palsy. It has, it has given me the hope. It has given me the purpose that I have. But in that story, God says no. And there's so many things. I remember my mother has told me this, that there are some things God can prevent in his power that he allows in his wisdom. And I think that that's so important because in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 2, and that's my life verse, in that God responds to him and he says this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will delight all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in hardships, in insults, and in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I really, it's changed me because that's exactly my life. And my disability gives me credibility. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Tyler Sexton is our guest, chatting about his life and the book he's written, No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. Take a quick break. Keep our conversation rolling in just a moment on WFIL. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560 WFIL.com, also on the WFIL app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Our special guest today, Dr. Tyler Sexton, chatting about his book, No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. Don't forget you can get the podcast of this program afterwards on our homepage at WFIL.com. You know, uh, Tyler, we have something in common I hadn't mentioned to you. My wife and I have five children, and, and our fourth one is severely disabled, uh, with, wow. she doesn't have any official diagnosis, but if it was, it would be cerebral palsy. And, um, she's wow. 14 now and she has still a, completely dependent on us, but she was also in the hospital for a little while at the beginning. And then we have a story I've shared on the air before. Uh, there's a place nearby that's been very helpful, proactively kind of re-engineering the brain to help bring about some progress. She still has a lot of physical challenges, but mentally she's coming 
along decently. And then we even have a hyperbaric chamber in our house. So, <laughs> which I, wow, <laughs> we have a lot of similarities. That's my subspecialty. <laughs> right. So talk, so anyhow, but it just, to, and she had seizures and now she doesn't generally doesn't have, hasn't had them for a lot of years. Um, more recently she's had those, but anyway, God's been very faithful. And the point being that there's no way I could have ever, I've seen my life the last 14 years. I could never have mentioned any of this, including seeing how God has brought people to himself through this broken little girl who doesn't speak any words. She's has some sounds. She can realize things. She'll tap at things with her hand a little bit or their eyes. But we've had two of our very closest friends have, have um, now got to know the Lord and they're helping bring other people to God. And it, it came through her. It wasn't anything we did. That's awesome. That's <laughs> you know? Isn't that great? Yeah. That's awesome. And God uses those imperfections. And I love that. And that just, that warms my heart. That's really great. I'll be praying Thank for your daughter and your family. Thank you. And you know, her name is Victoria Joy. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the difference between happiness and joy. And when she was in the hospital, the extra days in the beginning, I mentioned uh, we were struggling with what her first name should be. And I decided to go with the middle name first. And I was thinking fruits of the spirit. So we came up with just a joy is a good one. And then um, we came up with Victoria. It was either going to be Tori or Talitha. And um, in the end, it was it was Tori. We're all T's. I'm Tim. My wife's Tina. And all the other kids are T as well. <laughs> but we, it's also dawned on us that that joy came first and victory came second. And um, Absolutely. You know? Amen. So And you know that because one day the struggles in our physical bodies and all the other tears will be wiped away and we're not going to have any of this. But for now, like you said, there's eyes of faith that God is using all of these challenges that we have because he could take, he could make a person whole on the spot. And we've prayed for that. Right. God, like God would get to heaven. God said, well, you never even asked me. You just assumed I wouldn't. So I, so every now and again, they'll throw it in there. Like, can you heal Tori all the way right now? (laughs) Just to cover that base. And you know what, Tim, you you touched up on that itself. Can you, would you honestly tell me too, did you imagine, or now you've seen, like you said, two of your friends became believers because of her uh, because of Tori's uh, journey. Yeah. And you could never tell me 14 years ago that that's what you've expected, right? Right. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think everyone out there needs to hear that. You know, sometimes the disease is worse than the disability itself, or the diagnosis itself is worse than the disease. And yet you see so much blessing, how much it's galvanized your faith. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. Amen. Amen. Well, I, when I saw in, your, in the notes just about your book, too, about the hyperbaric medicine that you, you are a specialist at, and, you know, very much so for you years. Just out of curiosity, where did that come from for you? Was that on your radar early on or when did that come into your picture? So that is a, that's a good, good question. So I am, I'm a, I'm a pediatrician and I'm a pediatric hospitalist and medical director at a facility in, in Pasquale, Mississippi. And I'm also the vice president of the American College of Hyperbaric Medicine and Hyperbaric Medicine as my social specialty. Yeah. It is a twofold question because I have been an avid scuba diver since I was 12 years old. My yeah. dad, because I, I couldn't basketball and all the other things, although I tried and I did it, but of course that wasn't a long-term uh, you know, sport for me. My dad was a scuba diver. In the water, I am completely free. And so I, I fell in love with scuba diving. I became an instructor, all these different things, and that was just my hobby. Well, you know, set back you know, 20 years now, as you know, there was a lot of push for hyperbaric medicine in cerebral palsy and different neurodevelopmental diseases, and there's a lot more research. And I've been involved with off-label research with the American College and doing it the right way. There's a lot of things. You know, that's another caveat, another story in itself. Sure. But basically, back in the day, there was an opportunity for me to do hyperbaric medicine for CP. And we went to this doctor. And at that time, I was 12 years old, and all I asked for for Christmas that year was scuba diving lessons for my parents. 
And we went to the um, the hyperbaric chamber doctor and I tried to do hyperbaric. I couldn't clear my ears. So they took me out. And my mom said to the doctor, you know, this year he wants to scuba dive. The doctor looked around at me and said, you can forget that dream. You will never be a scuba diver. And I was crushed. And this is where I went back to you. It was a lump in my throat. My mom said, give me the bill. We're leaving. And this is where I've always said my, my parents have dared me to dream. So looking at the next medical miracle at the time, we didn't go through hyperbaric medicine. We went ahead and tried to make me become a scuba diver. I went through the classes. I had no trouble clearing my ears. And I became a master scuba diver and instructor. Well, fast forward that years later in terms of what God was going to do. I was fascinated with hyperbaric medicine, both with dive accidents. I've treated tons of dive accidents, tons of problem wounds. And I wanted to get involved in hyperbaric medicine. The other thing is with these wounds, my entire life, I've told people a lot, just the whole reason that Jesus shows us his scars. There's a difference between wounds and scars. Wounds are nasty. They smell. They weep. They're infected. People are embarrassed by them. But eventually, those wounds will heal, just like in my life and in yours. And we can show those scars and say, look where I've come from. Look where I've been. And it really, for me not only for these special needs populations that have hyperbaric medicine, but to be able to touch people's lives, sometimes in the worst places that they're at, through hyperbaric medicine uh, meant the world to me. And I wanted to be known as the house of hyperbaric medicine except without the attitude. <laughs> and I wanted to just <laughs> yeah. learn as much as I possibly could and apply it to my pediatric cases. And specifically, kids, as you know, special needs, they're, they're sometimes they're on their, their bedridden, they have wounds. And so I was able to start a, a wound program at my residency and where I'm at now, and we fight against amputations on these kids with wounds. And so that's where, and that's a long-winded question, there's yeah. so many caveats there, how yes. I got into hyperbaric medicine. Well, and just and for folks just tuning in, indulging me a little bit, because this is maybe a little off the beaten path, but not because people, I think, have heard about hyperbarics and all that. Uh, Dr. Tyler Sexton's our guest, and his book is No Such Thing as can't uh, and also because like a session in a in a chamber often is called a dive uh so there's sure. that kind of but the in a nutshell my layman's understanding despite the fact that i have a chamber in my house and our daughter goes in it almost every day is kind of like a it's a pressurized environment that helps among other things bring oxygen to every square inch of your body imagine if like you held your breath the way it's been explained to me if you held your breath obviously that would affect a lot of your body what happens to you, you can't be without for very long but not only uh depending on the air you breathe in and out but if you have oxygen coming to all parts of your body, uh, extra, uh, that I mean, it helps, not an oxygenator, not a concentrator, but just the pressure can help bring healing, ha- can help, uh, you know, and we've seen it happen or reduce swelling, lots of other benefits. Uh, so I don't exactly. want to, in a nutshell, not too bad of an explanation. I mean, you, you probably no, know better, much better than I do. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Basically, you're, you're breathing oxygen that gets forced into the, into the tissue and it has dramatic improvements of, you know, the immune system, reducing swelling and all those things. So that's exactly right. And okay. there are um, a lot of things that it, can, that it can do and it can improve. And I have the privilege of doing that yeah. uh, in the hospital and there with patients. Dr. Tyler Sexton, our guest today, we're chatting about his life and the book he's written, No Such Thing as Can't, a triumphant story of faith and perseverance. Quick break. We'll wrap things up in just a moment. Maybe you can slip in a few puns before things are done here. With Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. AM560 WFIL.com and on the app as well. You listen to the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Dr. Tyler Sexton been our special guest this hour. Really enjoying our conversation. No such thing as can't. A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance, the book you've written. It's fascinating stuff, uh, Tyler. We could um, talk all day. I'm sure there's so many aspects to your sure. story. But your book is a great place for people just to, to learn and be encouraged. 
about the challenges and not to be forgotten, uh, Sweet Potato, your mom. We can maybe conclude on a fun note just about the nickname for your mom and, again, the fact that she wrote part of this book and it helps from a parental perspective because I can tell you my wife and I, but my wife even more so, similar to what you said earlier in our conversation, uh, as a parent, you're thinking through already, how am I doing? What can I do to do better and proactively work with my kids? And when you have a child, like we have Tori, and and your mom had you to say, wow, like my identity as a mom and what am I going to do and how do I proceed and all that, your cage gets rattled quite a bit. So uh, talk about Sweet Potato for a second and uh, anything related to, you know, to, to her uh, presence in the book, if you would. My mother is quintessential to our story. You know, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't I'd be the man of, the, of faith that I am without her guidance and those things. And, um, and like I said, my father and I are equally as close, but mother and I have a special bond. And like I said, it's two, it's two stories uh, walking side by side as much as I've learned from her, what she got from us, and also the hidden journeys these parents go through. Um, and how you, and you can relate to this in your own story, you carry so much burden for your kids that you want to be better, like you said. You want to do what you can do. You want to pursue whatever you can, and yet you let yourself go. Uh, and you don't work with uh, your spouse and to be together. And so those things start to slip, and it, it talks about that journey and how you can nurture that. But also, my little sweet potato, that name comes from, I'll be honest with you, initially, you know, where it started. I just, I love sweet potatoes. I've always loved the fact that I was enthralled by that, that I thought it was kind of an ugly uh, I'm going to get in trouble for calling it. I think it's a vegetable because <laughs> it's so sweet, but I, it's not. Don't ask me. Right? So I think yeah. that's right. Don't, don't uh, give grace there for those who are listening. Yes. But I can tell you it's one of my favorites, and I, I was enthralled because my sweet potato, she's like a mother bear. If you get in her corner, just like you can say, if, if you're fighting, she's your first to defend you. But there's something so on the outside, you know, what you don't see on the inside, she's just so sweet and it's just so warm, and, and it just kind of, just kind of, kind of stuck. Uh, about where perceived, you know, people don't always take the time to like really get to know what's inside, what's going on out of the shell that we lived in, having palsy. So it wasn't that my mother was ugly or anything. So, okay, my point is, is that in the inside of our shell in our lives, nobody was looking in, and my mother was fighting a battle that nobody knew she was facing. Yet on the inside, you know, how much richness and how uh, God transformed that, and so you're able to see inside how how sweet it really was and when you when you open up that casing hmm. how sweet she was and, and what god did and so sweet potato was just one of those things that kind of matured out of those revelations and then just because it was a favorite vegetable not <laughs> i love that that's great well tyler it's been great talking with you there's so many more things and then as a side note folks familiar with the abc show the good doctor might find it interesting that several episodes were actually based on a part of your life right so that's kind of a neat a neat thing to know that your story has even had that uh, influence in the mass culture, if you will. Uh, so yes, it is. It's very humbling now that the world is seeing that being different, uh, going through these trials, um, that it that it does bring value. And I think that it's been very humbling to see something on such a large uh, canvas as in ABC's 2020 and, and The Good Doctor and these kind of TV shows to highlight uh, different doctors, because that's what it was, different doctors with disabilities, to highlight their lives in, in the inspiration to um, you know that, that TV show. It, it's very humbling to show that our imperfections are what makes us perfect. And that's what I tell my patients all the time, what I tell people. That's what God does. He uses the imperfect to bring glory to Him all along the Bible and all along the journey. And I think that's what we need to realize. We don't have to try to be perfect. Just let God use the broken and let him shine through. And that's what he's done in my life. And that's what's cool to see ABC's, you know, 2020 or that TV show be immortalized into some of those thoughts. Amen. Well, it's it's an amazing story that God keeps weaving. I'm sure there's, Lord willing, much more to come. And he's blessed you, as you mentioned, with a wife that you met met in med school. And 
Uh, we have one child, two children now. I think I read you were expecting. <laughs> yes, that's correct. So I have one child, Harper Grace. She's five years old. And then I have uh, baby Luke uh, who comes out in October. So pray that everything continues to, to go well in that respect. Wow. That's amazing. What a story. It's all for God's glory and, and much more to come. It's really encouraging to hear. And um, just as you were talking, I'm sorry, I had one more question that just pops to mind. Because you've overcome so many challenges, and glory to God with all this. Is there one thing in particular you're most proud about or satisfaction that you, whatever, it could have been something years ago or currently just how it's shaken out? Uh, in the current battles, you still have to face, I'm sure, different ways. But is, is there something in everyday life he's given you that's really helped you feel like that was, you know, look at that? <laughs> so, good question. I, don't, I think globally, I will tell you this, that all the titles, all the accolades, all the letters behind my name, you know, those are like a tail on a pig. They have nothing to do with the quality of the I see myself in every one of these kids, every one of these parents. I see my parents every time I look at them. And I don't have to have all the answers. I just genuinely try to care. And I will say in that respect, strip away the doctor for a minute, take all of them, and God let us back for another 20 years, 30 years. But the thing I'm most proud of is to say that I can truly feel how people are feeling and try to touch them, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally, because that's all that we're trying to look at. So if all was lost, at least I know that God gave me CP so that I could impact somebody just on a regular high five or a hug. You never know what that does for somebody. And so that for sure uh, is is my other piece of, wow, I, I see it. So. <laughs> that's great. Tyler, thank you so much for, for taking time. It's been a real pleasure to hear your story firsthand. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a privilege. You know what? Just on a fun note, I'm realizing you're you're practicing in Mississippi, right? I am. Yes, Pasigula, Mississippi. So, so one of those mystery questions of life that just occurred to me is: in backyard football, do kids actually say one Mississippi, two Mississippi, or do they pick a different state? <laughs> you know what? I, I do not know. Right now, I'm seeing that it's universal: one Mississippi, two Mississippi, same right. things, uh, firm. Because <laughs> <laughs> they say one Kentucky, two Kentucky. It's like we got, they're already right. in Mississippi. So. <laughs> Very good. I just right. wondered. So, all right. Well, if you figure it out, let me know. All right. I will. I will. Thank you, sir. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Dr. Tyler Sexton, No Such Thing as Can't, A Triumphant Story of Faith and Perseverance. What a story. We're actually going to give copies of that book away on our website in the near future, so keep an ear out for that. We're out of time. We can't do the pun segment today. It happens sometimes. We'll make it up next week. Maybe we'll have two different ones. In the meantime, that'll do it for our program. Thank you for listening in. God bless you. Have a great weekend. And don't forget, you can get the podcast of today's show in about the next 30, 45 minutes right on our homepage at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.